First Class Fatherhood. That is where Alec Lace comes in with his popular podcast. And one of the most interesting was on a podcast. Alec Lace interviews high-profile fathers from actors to NFL players with a vision to change the narrative of fatherhood and family life. Welcome, everybody, to episode 672 of First Class Fatherhood, a family-made media podcast, and I have got an awesome guest for you guys today. Dave Rubin joins me on the podcast. Dave Rubin is best known for his political commentary on the Rubin Report, one of the top-ranking shows recognized as one of the most influential spaces for candid conversation about politics, polarizing issues, current events, and so much more. Dave Rubin is also an author, comedian, TV personality. He began as a stand-up comedian. He is also the founder of Locals.com. He got tired of all the censorship. He and his husband, David, are new parents. They chose to go through the surrogacy process. He's going to tell us all about that, his new role now as a father, and so much more. Honored to have him on the podcast today. Dave Rubin will be here with me in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And today's interview was recorded on video and will be available on my Rumble page. Uh, So go check out my Rumble account. The link will be in the description of this podcast episode. I will put it up on YouTube once I am granted access back to my account. I've been shut out of my account, suspended on YouTube. If you haven't heard about that one, I did an interview with Dr. Robert Malone. It was one of my most popular interviews of 2022. I did that back in August. The interview was up there on YouTube since then. Elon last week reinstated Dr. Malone's account on Twitter, and about an hour after Dr. Malone was back on Twitter, I got an email from YouTube saying that they pulled my video down and suspended my account, uh, so I don't have access to it for a week. So I'm going to put this interview today with Dave Rubin up on my Rumble account, and then once my YouTube is restored, I will throw it up there. All right, I got one more episode to hit you guys with until we close out the 2022 year here on First Class Fatherhood, and I got a great one. Olympic gold medalist Dominique Mucciano will be joining me here with her husband, Dr. Michael Canales. Uh, Dominique Mucciano was a part of the one of the greatest women's gymnastic teams of all time. That gold medal winning team, the, the Magnificent Seven, they called them, where Kerry Shrug pulled it out at the end there. She stuck the landing on basically one leg. It was really a phenomenal year to watch the Summer Olympics with that team. Dominic Mucciano uh, will be here with me with her husband, uh, Dr. Michael Canales, who himself is a gymnast. He dominated over there. He was a national champion at Ohio State. Going to be a fun one to close out the year. Honored to have them on the podcast, so don't miss out on that one. And if you're still looking for a Christmas gift, if you have a dad on your list, don't forget to get over to Amazon and order a copy of First Class Fatherhood Advice and Wisdom from High Profile Dads. There's time for you to order the book, get it in time for Christmas. Any dad on your Christmas list, Grab them a copy of First Class Fatherhood Advice and Wisdom from High Profile Dads. Link is in the description of today's podcast episode. Make sure you follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace, as I will be doubling my efforts after the holiday season here to start booking guests for the new year. Find out who will be joining me here on the podcast in 2023. If you have a chance, please help me spread the word about this podcast. Every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list, let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. You know it. Father's Day is every day right here on the podcast. And here comes my interview straight up with Dave Rubin on First Class Fatherhood. Uh, Joining me now, First Class Father, Dave Rubin. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. I'm glad to be with you. Hopefully talk about something a little bit different than my wheelhouse political stuff uh, that I'm usually putting out there. 
Well, let's jump into it. How many kids do you have? How old are they? <laughs> I have two kids, and believe it or not, they are four months and two months, which I guess makes them like super accelerated Irish twins of sort, something like that. But they are downstairs right now. Justin, who's the older one, he is napping. Luke just got up. I think he's having a bottle and uh, I'm just trying to get some sleep when I can. And uh, it's been pretty good so far. Yeah, we, we have four kids ourselves. Our first two we consider Irish twins. They're just about 15 months apart. So you're closer to the to the twin zone than the Irish twin zone over there for sure. Right, exactly. Well, you know, it's kind of funny. And a lot of people have been telling us this, especially parents of twins, you know, to have this uh, odd, you know, four month and two month situation. And I'm happy to get into how, how all that happened with two surrogates and everything else. Um, you know, at, when they live their lives for the rest of their lives, in essence, they'll be twins because the, the age is so close and they'll grow up with the same things, obviously, and all that kind of stuff. And they're going to share a room and, and all that. But right now at that very early age, it's like, there's a massive difference between two months and four months, two months. It's still like, you're waking them up to feed them and all that kind of stuff. Four months, Justin's kind of getting on his own, but Luke is still, uh, still really in that, in that infant phase. He was also born a little bit early. So, you know, taking him a little bit longer to kind of catch up, but it's been, it's been really nice. You know, it's been a learning curve on every single front, which everyone tells you and warns you about. Uh, but uh, you can't really understand it till you go through it. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And if you could, Dave, please just take a second here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Sure. So, well, uh, work-wise, I'm the host of the Rubin Report, which sort of got put on the map I'd say about seven, eight years ago, because I started doing long form interviews, which it's kind of funny. Now everybody's doing long form interviews. But at the time, that's when Snapchat was hot. You may remember Vine, those little six second videos. Everything was getting shorter and shorter. It was when Twitter was still somewhat new and fresh. Things were getting condensed and tiny and small. And I felt like everything was making everybody kind of stupid, to be quite honest. I felt that there was no room for interesting, honest conversation and, and really to explore an idea and that sort of thing. So I started doing my show as a long form, old school, Larry King-esque interview show. And people really gravitated to it. And, you know, not, now, of course, you know, everybody and their brother is doing it in one form or another. And I think there's more podcasts than people at this point. But, uh, but by bringing that back, I had a little something to do, I suppose, with kind of where we're at culturally right now, which is that people are trying to make sense of the madness, uh, even just looking behind you, some of the guests that you've had on the show. And it's like, you know, these people, whether they're actors or MMA guys or comedians or whatever, people are trying to make some sense. And, and it has become increasingly difficult to make sense of things when you have a hyper-controlled corporate media, which we do. Now you have crazy big tech censorship, which we're only beginning to, uh, you know, shine the spotlight on at the moment. And uh, and just the general state of, of the modern world that leaves people kind of crazy. So uh, that's what I started doing. Now I'm mostly known for I, I do my daily show where I yammer at the camera about politics and culture and everything else and hopefully do it with a little bit of humor. And, you know, it's it's designed specifically not to make people crazy and kind of with the tenor that we're talking about things right now. And uh, and it seems to be working, I suppose. Yeah. And obviously you've had some tremendous success, but Dave, just like you, you were saying there, you're absolutely right. Especially when I bring a lot of the NFL guys, a lot of the NFL dads on the show that have started their own podcast. Now they feel like 
you know, after a game, they only get it like a, a, the same one or two questions post game interview. And it's like you can never really delve into more than just that surface answer that they always give. And everyone seems to have the same kind of uh, answer to these questions. Now, with this long form type stuff podcast, they can host their own. They can really, de- you know, dive into what's there, what's going on in, in them emotionally, personally and so much more. So I, I love the platforms that you guys all help create. I mean, I'm a, I'm a railroad mechanic myself. I've been doing that for 23 years, started this up as a sideline a few years ago, and I've been blessed to have so many guys come on just like yourself here and talk about fatherhood. So let's dive into that if we could here. So you have the two kids now, four months, two months. You guys went the the surrogacy route. Uh, What was the decision making there for you guys to choose surrogacy over adoption? And what has how has becoming a dad so far changed your perspective on life? Sure. So for people that have no clue whatsoever, so I happen to be married to a guy. That's the way I always describe right, it to people. <laughs> I uh, uh, I don't think, you know, I, I hate the phrase LGBT community. These are letters that have virtually nothing to do with each other. I believe that every adult human being should be allowed to enter whatever relationship uh, makes them feel fulfilled and happy and everything else. Uh, so, so David, who's my husband, his name happens to be David too, which is also hilarious for people. Uh, we've been together for like, something like 13 years at this point. We've been married for about seven years, uh, monogamous, happy, functional, decent. I never really wanted kids. I'm 46 years old, so I grew up in the 80s where first off, I was very confused about my sexuality for a long time, but also there was no such thing as gay marriage. The only gay person that you might've seen on television was an over-the-top, ridiculous caricature of a gay person, you know, sort of Paul Lind from the Hollywood Squares or just some, you know, very, very hyper stereotypical, uh, you know, queenie, dancey, whatever. And I never felt that way. So anyway, that caused a lot of a lot of tumult and closeted nonsense with me for a long time. When I finally met somebody and, and fell in love, he's a little bit younger than me. He grew up in a time when it was sort of going to be obvious that he would be able to get married and have a family and all of those things. Uh, But we were trying to piece that together. And then I happened to be on tour with Jordan Peterson, who I'm sure you're familiar with and your listeners are familiar with. We were on tour for about a year and a half. And one of the things that Jordan kept saying over and over again on the tour was that for most people, almost everybody to live a fully actualized life, you have to experience becoming a parent. And then perhaps a grandparent after that, maybe a grand, great grandparent after that. But, but the idea of bringing a child into this world, rearing that child, teaching that child things, that whole experience, it's so fundamental to what it is to be human that almost everyone has to have it. He did say there are, there are some exceptions. You, you might find an artist who is so uh, find such meaning and value in their art that they can live the best life possible. And that's not to say that there aren't plenty of good people who, who don't have kids. Of course there are, and people have all sorts of circumstances that don't allow it and everything else. In essence though, I have never thought I was gonna have kids. I'm on tour with the leading intellectual thinker of our time, talking about the importance of having kids. And then I've got, we're, we're literally traveling the world, but I've got David back home texting me every day about how he wants to start a family. So those things kind of, the confluence of those things sort of brought us here. And then to specifically answer your question, then we had to figure out how do you do it? Because it ain't as easy uh, when you don't have at least one chick involved. Um, And we really decided that that the biological part was important to us, at least at some level. Uh, So we we didn't want to necessarily adopt. We did talk about it for a little bit. And then as we went along the surrogacy process, there were a couple uh, miscarriages 
and some other complications and also COVID, which delayed a lot of things. So the, the adoption conversation was kind of always there, but we, we really wanted to push this route forward. So in essence, what we did, and this is where it gets a little kind of sci-fi, like how do you have kids in, in the future? Uh, so we got an egg donor. And as you know, when you, when you get an egg donor, the, the women hopefully are gonna provide you with many eggs. And then we took my sperm, we took David's sperm and we inseminated two eggs and they turned out to be healthy and happy and good. And, and here we are. So, uh, but uh, one other little just interesting point, because everyone says, well, why do you do four, you know, two months apart makes no sense. It's like, why didn't you give your, either do twins, you know, real twins or give yourself a little time to breathe. What happened was because as I mentioned with all the delays of COVID and then a few miscarriages and such, um, when the, when the first one took, and we really knew we, we were like three months in and we knew, you know, you're basically good to go at this point, uh, two months in, in essence, we basically were like, listen, we got to keep moving. I'm 46. And if we get stuck with a few more miscarriages or COVID two or whatever could happen in the world, uh, we don't want this to be delayed another five years. And then of course the second one took immediately thus four months and two months downstairs. <laughs> well, I, I, it's awesome. And I know that uh, I had uh, David Burke on the show a while back. He's married to Neil Patrick yep. Harris and they, and they didn't yep. know whose um, a sperm was for each. They didn't know which kid basically was there from them. Is that yeah. how it is with you guys? Or do you know which one is which? Or are they both one of yours? <clears throat> we we do know. We have not told anybody. I think it'll present itself. We sort of thought it would be fun if it just kind of presents itself to the grandparents, whether it's a smile or a laugh or a mannerism or whatever it might be. They do kind of look similar uh, so we'll see if that presents itself, but you know, you know, this as father, I mean, ultimately it just does not matter. These, these kids are equally both of ours. We, we love them equally. And, uh, you know, I, I think it'll, it'll present itself one day, one day I'll be there. And one of these kids, I'm not saying which is going to look at me and say something sarcastic back to me. And I'm going to go, that's the one that's from me, you know, and that, <laughs> but that, but that won't be more important, obviously, than than whatever goes on with the other the other. Of one. course, yeah. We, and like I said, we have four of them, and the four of them couldn't be more different than one another. It's amazing. Sometimes we're like, man, I can't believe you guys all come from the same place because <laughs> they, they, they all have their own personalities, interests, and although they have, a, you know, we can definitely see where they come from with certain things. So it's so cool to watch as they start going through the process. But I know that you did sure. receive a, a lot of blowback when you guys decided to do this, and uh, from from your own community where it seems like uh, had to be difficult to kind of navigate that while you were going through such a, uh, an important part and a, and a big part of your life. How did you kind of get through those, uh, walk me through some of those emotions or how, how you dealt with kind of some of the criticism that was coming your way during the process? Sure, first off, I'm glad you're asking because I think I've only addressed this on one other show for, for a few minutes. Um, so I'm happy to, to do it. So basically we, we made the announcement, You know, we took a picture in the studio with uh, little uh, placards with the dates and saying two kids are coming. And then suddenly the internet freaking blew up, it like blew up. I'm talking, it was trending, all this stuff. And what I can tell you truly, 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 99% of what I saw was positive and love. I'm talking about from my fans, from the emails, the tweets, the Facebook messages, all of that stuff, from all of the colleagues and people on my show that I'm associated with that either publicly or privately sent lovely notes and said nice things and all of that stuff. But what also came with that was a couple uh, people, not that I'm associated with, there, there were only, as far as I knew and know, and, but correct me if I'm wrong, if you saw something that I didn't see, there were two people with blue checks on Twitter who really went after me. One of them, 
uh, was this woman, Jenna Ellis, who I had had on the show once. She was a Trump lawyer. Uh, the other guy, this guy, Mark Dice, who I've never uh, had on the show or been on his show. I've had no association with this guy whatsoever. Uh, they were really going off about, about uh, surrogacy and gay parenting and whatever. And then the trolls get involved and just a bunch of people that say mean things. It's just, it's just part of the internet. It's part of human reality in, in a modern world, something like that. So I did not think it was a big deal. What I didn't, because it's just how it is. What I didn't like about it was uh, Forbes wrote an article about how Dave Rubin's audience turns on him. And they used a picture of me and Candace Owens. Candace had been at my house two or three days before we made the announcement, helping us pick out strollers with her husband. Um, no, nobody that I'm a friends with or associated with turned on me whatsoever. I did have some fans that had interesting questions related to surrogacy and uh, talking about the role of the mother and the importance of a female role model, which by the way, are legitimate issues. And I've subsequently done a two hour interview with Jordan Peterson about just that. And I'm happy to discuss that with you if you want. But I never saw my own, my own audience never turned on me. I mean, I went on a book tour right after that. We sold out every show for two months. My show has had the best numbers every month since then for the last like six months or so. Uh, but I, but to your point, I did see it. I, yes, when I was opening Twitter, I saw a bunch of mo virtually all anonymous frog people saying horrible things about, about gay people, about surrogacy and the rest of it. And it just kind of goes with the territory. It, it just does, it is what it is. And uh, you, you just kind of let it be. And it's such a shame too, because with, with so many uh, children being aborted in this country and so many families being broken and, and everything else to, to see a family that is just beginning, just starting and creating new life. It's it's always a thing to celebrate, in my opinion, anyway. And so uh, I, I focus a lot, Dave, on this show about the fatherless crisis that we have going on in our country where so many kids are growing up without that father or father figure in their life. In my opinion, it's it's the number one social issue we have going on in our country. And if we could just get, uh, you, know, you know, maybe dads back in the home, so many of these issues would start to go away pretty quickly here. And I know now on your side, yeah, as you mentioned there too, the, without having a mom in the home also creates some challenges. So what was the thought process there? Is there going to be uh, designated mother figures that you have that are gonna be in your kids' lives as well? Sure, it's a great question and it's an important question. And I think it's a question that a lot of people are afraid to ask, right? Because th there's an implicit like, oh, are you not okay with gays by asking that question? And that, that's just not right because, you know, there is, I've discussed this with Jordan Peterson. I've discussed this uh, privately and publicly with Dennis Prager, who's a friend and mentor of mine. You know, the idea of the family structure of a mother and a father and children beneath that, then extended family out this way and grandparents, you know, going out that way, that is the, it is the basis for what everything is built on. So when you say to me that the fatherless crisis is, is basically the, the biggest issue that so many of these other things that we're always worrying about, would go away because if we could solve the fatherless issue, you're right, of course you're right. A solid family structure is the most important thing, period. It's not gonna be perfect and nobody watching this, nor you or I came from the perfect situation, right? My parents have been married, uh, they just celebrated their 50th anniversary actually, have three kids, now two of their kids have three kids, one of their kids have two kids, they've got a good extended family, but, but it wasn't perfect. We, they had their own struggles, we had family struggles, whatever it might be, but, but we basically got it right. So the structure of reality related to my family is, is pretty decent for whatever little uh, tensions we have and, and personal stuff. So when it comes to uh, differing from that, so if you're gonna say, okay, if, if you acknowledge that the family unit's the most important thing, well now can the family unit look a little bit different and still be okay? 
My answer to that is absolutely yes. So we do, so look, we've got two fathers here. Now I can tell you, David, who's downstairs right now, he is, we have, we have someone that helps us at night, uh, but we start the day at about 7 a.m. I get the babies, I hang out with them for the first hour and I'm doing feedings and all that stuff. And then, and then I'm doing my thing during the day, right? I'm in studio, I'm doing shows like this. David has taken on, we have no help during the day from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. He is doing everything with two babies and there is so much love around these kids. Now we have, uh, my sister lives in Miami. She, she just had a baby in between our two babies, her third, so she's here. So we have her here. David's sister has been staying with us and helping out, so she's here. We have two grandmothers here. Uh, I don't wanna get too lost in, the, in why the biology of it's important, but men and women are different. And, and there's the hunter-gatherer situation and, and the, the homestead situation. And I think you can provide most, if not all of those things. But, but, but that doesn't dismiss the fact that we're gonna have to have you know, complex conversations with them probably a little bit earlier on than we might've had to otherwise, when one day, when, when these kids are maybe seven years old, and they say, well, you know, at school, uh, the, the dads, there's a dad and a mom for most, but it's a little different here, and we're gonna have to explain that. But I think the best thing that you can do, and I hope I can do this okay, and, and only time will tell, is that if I am a decent person and David is a decent person and we bring them up in a home that feels loving and safe and decent, we'll put them out in the world with the tools needed to, to thrive. So in no way, in no way am I dismissing the importance of the family or the importance of the mother. I think there's all sorts of ways that you can take the ideal situation, which is the, the sort of mother, father, kids, home, and then and have side versions of it that are that are pretty damn good and sometimes better because as you know, you could have a mother and a father and three kids and you could have an alcoholic father and a mother with bipolar disorder or they could have financial struggles, this, that, the other thing, there could be abuse and all that. So, so no one is doing it in the perfect way, but I think you wanna get as close to that, you wanna emulate that as much as possible. You do, and well said, and just to make myself clear, just because there is a dad in the home doesn't necessarily mean that that is a good dad that's in the home. So it's not like that solves all the things right there. So it's more important that there's love in the home, and that's the most important thing, that a child does grow up with that love, knowing that they're loved, particularly by a male figure and by a female figure. Uh, but it's it, And sometimes I have a lot of dads that, that grew up without a father of their own, and some of them found that dad in the military. Some guys find it through a coach, but it's the guys that are finding it in the street is why we're feeling filling up the prison systems in this country with fatherless kids. And I think that's really to the point I, that I try to stress on the show here. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you may be uh, be aware, I've, you know, I'm good friends with Larry Elder and I've had him on the show many times. And, and this is what Larry has been talking about for literally 40 years. I mean, in essence, since the welfare state really exploded mostly within the black community and kept this sort of intergenerational poverty and then you know incentivized women to have more kids and all of those things before i might be off by a year or two but i think before around 1973 when the welfare state really kicked in uh black people had higher rates of a, a two-parent home than white people meaning the divorce rates and the separation rates were less then you start bringing in all of this government nonsense and you can see what the results of that are.
Yeah, we, we've tripled just obviously the African-American community has been hit the hardest. But if you look in the 1950s, uh, we were at nine percent of families that that didn't have a, a father in the home that were that were mostly all nuclear strong families. And now today we're at 26, 27 percent. It's tripled and we lead the world in single parent homes. And majority of those are, are, are single mom homes. So it's it's definitely uh, an epidemic, I would say, in this country. But yeah, then, you know, I can. I can also just tell you one other thing related to that because I mentioned Jordan Peterson a couple of times. When I was on tour with him and you know, Jordan, who his whole thing in 12 Rules for Life was about taking responsibility for your life, people kept saying you know, his audience is so male dominated. Now, I, I actually never found that. I usually found that the audience was about 60, 40, something like that. So it wasn't as skewed as you might've thought. But so many of the guys that were there were guys I would say in their young, young mid, probably young, early to mid twenties into their early thirties who had some situation that's kind of what you're describing. They either had an absentee father or no father at all or an abusive father or something else. And then they were looking for leadership and guidance and uh, decency somewhere else and they were finding it through Jordan. So that was also an extraordinary thing to be part of on that front. Yeah, and there's so many great men that are out there doing it like Jordan is. The young guys need that message. Like I've had Jocko Willink here on the podcast. Yeah. He's another one that's out there really uh, helping a lot of guys find their way when it comes to this stuff. So it's very important to our society. And I wish it would get you know highlighted more than so much of the noise and the nonsense that we hear uh, every day. But bringing it back into to you as a father here, what would you consider, Dave, uh, to be the top values that you're hoping to instill in your kids growing up? I mean, I mean truth more than anything else. I, I just hope that I can say something that is truthful to them and show them why truth is important. You know, the thing is, you know this, when, when you have little kids, I'm talking like the toddler age that I have now, that is a freaking blank slate that you can see the world and the future and the past in their eyes. You really can. It's like they're a human organic being right in front of you. And what they're going to learn is the stuff that you're gonna teach them, but it's not just the stuff you're gonna teach them because you say it to them. They're gonna learn by your actions. Um, and I think that we will tr do our best to teach them that that truth matters, that reality matters, that that decency matters, that uh, that you can be a good person in a in a world that is often very cold. To have have some honor, you know. I, I you know I think even I I'm look I play basketball, so I'm looking forward to teaching them basketball and like, you know, playing basketball with a certain degree of honor and passion and all of those things. But I think more than anything else, just I, I, what I wouldn't want, and I'm here in Florida where, you know, we had this big craziness about the, the quote unquote, don't say gay bill, even though the word gay wasn't in there. And all it had to do with was par parental rights in education, meaning that you wouldn't want state educators talking to your kids about sex or gender privately and hiding it from you, regardless of gay or straight or anything else. Um, I wouldn't want anyone else coming in and confusing my child about anything. So I'm, I'm very aware of that when I'm with them because you know I do this for a living where I talk about all these cultural issues and you see drag queen story hour, you hear about all the, the nonsensical woke neo-racism in the schools, all this stuff and you go, when you look at a kid who's just perfect and, and a sponge for everything and you go, man, I'm gonna put them into a world that is filled with nonsense. They, you better be able to to have them turn back to you and go, what, you know, where is zero? Where where is truth? So I'm going to do my best with that. I think I think that's it. 
And because of things like this, I've had conversations with my kids at ages where I couldn't even imagine my parents talking to me about this kind of stuff with. But because it's so much out there right now, you have to get ahead of it and talk to your kids about what's going on, what they're seeing. I just had Kirk Cameron on the podcast here. Love and Kirk. he's a guy that they they wouldn't allow him to have the story hour yet. They bring in the drag queen. I'm here in New Jersey where two years ago they passed anal sex as part of the teaching curriculum for eighth graders. And then now it's still going back and forth where they want to teach uh, the gender identity stuff to kindergarten, first and second graders. So it's kind of really wild to, to see the changes that have uh, really taken place here and how it forces parents to kind of have these conversations with their kids at a far earlier age. Oh, way earlier. I can only imagine where I'm going to be at, at in, you know, six years or eight years when these issues start coming up or where they come home from school and, and ask me something or whatever. But, you know, one of the things that's been really nice that I've learned over the, the last couple months is that, you know, because I'm out there always screaming about politics and telling people what I think, you know, it's one thing to do that as a as a uh, either a single person or you could be in a relationship, but without kids, not being a father. You can always just talk about the issues and sometimes in an almost impersonal way, right? So the don't say gay thing comes up and I felt very strongly about not infecting the minds of young people and why this has nothing to do with state educators or why this has nothing, why that's not the right of state educators to do, et cetera, et cetera. But now that I have a kid, now that I have two kids, it's like the idea that I would want them infected with the ideas or you could, you could relate that to COVID also. You know, just in the last couple of days, Fauci's out there talking about how kids at six months should get uh, should get vaccinated. And sorry, brother, it's not going to happen on my watch. No, that whole thing has been crazy. And I just had because uh, I had Dr. Malone on the podcast back in August and he just came back to Twitter yesterday. And an hour after Elon brought him back to Twitter, I get an email from YouTube that they pulled down my interview with uh, Dr. Malone. But it had been up since August. So it was really weird how that unbelievable. Unbe uh, well, his name's getting out there again. They yep. don't want people Googling him. Yeah, exactly. And one thing I'm curious to here, Dave, because you guys are sorry, you haven't had to come through this yet, but the discipline portion of it is something that you and your and, and your husband or you and your partner in life have to be uh, on board with, with what kind of discipline styles you have, because you may come from a different upbringing than, than your spouse did. Yeah. And you guys had look at it in different ways. So what kind of um, <laughs> what kind of disciplinarian was were your parents with you growing up? And is that different than uh, your husband's upbringing? And have you guys talked about the way that you plan on disciplining your kids? Yeah, well, fortunately, we haven't had to deal with that yet at four months right. and two months. But, uh, you know, I was a pretty easygoing kid. I, I wasn't getting into trouble in high school. I was playing video games and playing sports. So I didn't I was my parents had a very, very easy time with me. My brother was a great athlete, so he was focused on that. So they didn't have a problem with him. My sister was a little bit more of a rebel, but my parents kind of let us do do our thing because we were pretty good. So there really weren't a lot of moments that they had to lay down. The hammer, uh, David was definitely more of a partier and kind of out there more and everything else. And I think his parents would kind of give him the leash and then, you know, pull it when necessary. I think the most important thing related to that and, and time will bear this out is that we just have, the parents just have to be on the same page. You don't want, I sense one where, you know, I think every every parent has this issue. One One's a little more strict, one's a little more loose. And then when the kid sees the the tension there, they can figure out ways to use that tension. And that's what you don't want. So we'll do our best, I think, to, to try to be on the same page with these things. Yeah, and it's definitely, listen, I'm still learning. Our oldest is 16. We're still learning as we go here. It's always an on-the-job training thing because we've never come across some of these issues that we're starting to come across now. And we're looking at each other like, uh, we have to have this kind of conference. So how are we going to deal with this together? You know, So it definitely has to be a united front for sure. And I know this is the, the first uh, holiday season for you guys as parents here. Are you guys going to start any traditions? What kind of plans you have here holiday season wise? 
You you are a Jersey guy. Use guys. Use guys. You're definitely a Jersey guy. I love it. Most of my family growing up, I grew up in Long Island, which is just like a slightly altered it Jersey, but most of my family lived in Jersey. Uh, we got all our family coming down here. I'm, I'm very excited. Uh, we were also doing some construction at the house, so we finally got the house in order. I feel like the, we have a handle on what's going on with the kids. Uh, as I said, my sister's down here in Miami, so her family be here. My brother's bringing his kids down. My parents are going to be down here. And uh, and just spend a little time enjoying each other and getting them out. You know, they're all up near you, Northeast. So they're they're excited to get a little warmth and uh, enjoy that Florida freedom, you know. Very cool. All right. Well, obviously, you've had a massive success here. What are your plans for 2023 as we get ready to turn the page to the new year? What kind of projects you're working on? What can we expect to see from you in the new year? Well, I just started sketching out the uh, concept for my third book. My last book came out uh, this year. First book came out in in, uh, in 2020. But really what I want to focus on more than anything else is I, I truly believe having a lot to do with what is going on with Twitter and Elon Musk, there's an incredible opportunity in America for truth to finally take root again. We, we've gotten so off the path of truth, censorship, nonsense from the government and from corporate media and big tech. But there's this little glimmer of hope right now that we can start making sense of things. And even just this morning, I was at, at an event in West Palm Beach uh, where Governor DeSantis was announcing a couple measures that Florida is going to take against the CDC and some of the other organizations that were so draconian in their policies over the last couple of years. And it's like, I think people want truth. They want competency. They want decency. And if we can work on those three, and that's really where I'm going to try to focus my energies, uh, then the political stuff that's making us all crazy all the time won't matter that much. So I would say that and, uh, you know, I'll keep changing diapers and getting some sleep when I can. Very cool. All right. L- last thing I want to hit you with here, Dave, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about to be father who's out there listening? Man, it changes overnight. And and no matter, you you, th- you think you know it and everyone can tell you it, but it changes overnight. So as I just said to my, my pool guy was here this morning and he's having a kid in January. I said, listen, man, enjoy the last couple weeks of, you know, just having some tequila in the pool at two o'clock on a Saturday. Yeah, you might be able to get back to it in a couple of years, but you probably don't see it on the horizon, even if you have all the resources in the world. Enjoy what you got. And then, and then I think you can also then understand why people have been doing this for a long freaking time because there's something there's something really good and decent in there and it, it makes you a better person. I, I don't know that it's for me to say that about myself, but I think I think you probably know that from talking about all of this with, with great guests for so long. It's like, it makes you better somehow if you take that opportunity, uh, but you gotta seize it. Otherwise you, it won't make you better and then you'll also end up being a pretty bad dad. Well said. I love the message. It's been an honor for me. I got to say, Dave Rubin, you're a first class father all the way. And thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on First Class Fatherhood. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. You have been listening to First Class Fatherhood. First Class Fatherhood is a family made media podcast. Please visit www.firstclassfatherhood.com or www.familymade.com to find out more details. You can order First Class Fatherhood advice and wisdom from high profile dads on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will never depart from it. God bless, and I'll catch you next time.